Welcome to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is the show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. Hello, base campers. Hope you're all doing well. Today's episode is a bit of a throwback episode for us, but in a good way. As many of you know, Base Camp for Men was originally conceived and started as a resource show for men's personal development. The power of men's groups and a positive, authentic masculinity were the medicine I was called to bring forth from all my years of leading and participating in men's groups. It has defined my life, and I am full of gratitude for the men I have followed and led in this work. My friend Dave recently sent me a new book about Dr. Robert Glover. Dr. Glover is the author of the classic men's book, No More Mr. Nice Guy. I dug into the new book and recognized that the authors and I had similar stories and wounds, but with different paths up the mountain, so to speak. Men have always been more powerfully who they are when they can speak authentically with other men. And this is a rare thing, as you will hear in this episode. I think all men carry this sort of lone wolf syndrome. We think we can do the work, grow ourselves into the men we want to be, heal our child childhood traumas that we all have and become strong, confident partners and fathers and do all this with absolutely no support. It is delusional. As the Mankind Project has said over and over again, it takes a tribe of men to grow men. For only other men know intimately the shame, hurt, violence, and shadow that are hidden deep inside of a man's heart and soul. The astoundingly wonderful secret for men, the more you can speak from the depths, from your depths without flinching, the more light that can come into your heart and your life. And men are great at hiding. We hide our hurt and our addictions and our hopes and fears. We hide our shame and our heartbrokenness and feelings of inadequacy. Fuck, we try to hide it all because we think that if you knew who I really am and how I really felt, especially when I feel small, you will desert me. So we just go it alone. Are you following me? Today's conversation is hopefully like sitting in a good men's group, as my guest, himself a veteran of these emotionally honest expressions, brings the truth about what it means to be a man today. I hope you see yourself in our sharing. Enjoy the conversation. My guest today is Tony Endelman. Tony is an author, popular self-help blogger, and certified transformational life coach. Additionally, he is one of Dr. Robert Glover's elite certified No More Mr. Nice Guy coaches. Tony's recently released book, The Big Stick, Collected and Applied Wisdom from the Teachings of Dr. Robert Glover, encapsulates 40 years of wisdom put forth by Dr. Glover. Here is my interview with Tony Endelman. All right. I am here with Tony Endelman, author and men's leader, Tony Endelman. Tony, welcome to Base Camp for Men. It is great to have you on the show. It's great to be here, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You know, you're, you're the author of The Big Stick. It just came out, A Man's Guide to Almost Everything, uh, Collected and Applied Wisdom from the Teachings of Dr. Robert Glover. Man, what a book this is. I'm recommending it to all my friends. I just think you did a outstanding job on like really drawing the the essence of what it means to be kind of a mature man in the modern era and you really I mean you covered a lot of stuff so congratulations first off on that you did an outstanding job how long did it take you to write it yeah yeah thank you first of all um yeah yeah, man it's a (laughs) it's a hefty book um Dr. Glover you know, let's let's give credit where credit is due. Shout out mm-hmm. Dr. Glover, uh, my my good friend and mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, he's helped so many men across the world. Um, 
he came to me with the idea in probably around October of 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his, his assistant, well, you know, Dr. Glover is probably best known for his book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, but he's got two other books. He's got a bunch of online courses. He's done a bunch of interviews. He's got 200 plus podcast episodes mm-hmm. and other stuff that was hidden away in his vault. So his assistant basically sent me a Dropbox folder with, with literally everything he's ever done. Everything. It said, turn this into a book. Yeah. Like <laughs> thousands of hours of content. And, uh, and yeah, Dr. Glover kind of set me loose. Um, you know, I, I have to say before I just answer your question, uh, I have to say, you know, I'm, I'm endlessly grateful that, Dr. Glover asked me <laughs> to write sure. this book. He probably could have asked anybody, uh, probably could have written it himself, you know, but he, he and I are very close and, uh, you know, I, I, I think, I, I hope he, I mean, obviously he trusts me and I think he loves my, my writing. So, um, you know, I, I'm just so grateful that he asked me, but, but to answer your question, yeah. Um, probably October of 2020 is when he pitched me the idea. And then I spent, geez, you know, at least three, four months, maybe more just going through all of that material in that Dropbox folder and trying to figure out how to organize it in a really meaningful and easily digestible way. Um, and then, you know, and then all said and done, it was, you know, about a three year process from, going through the material and organizing it and outlining it to actually writing the book to then, you know, kind of massaging it and editing it and proofreading sure. Dr. Glover and going through that process. So yeah, I think all said and done, it was about a three year endeavor. Well, you did a bang up job. I got to think Dr. Glover has got to be pretty ecstatic with the finished product, given how it, how it rolls out <laughs> when you're when you're reading it. But I wanted to ask you, you know, he, you're right. He he is most famous for No More Mr. Nice Guy. And he talks about the nice guy syndrome. Yeah. Um, I have a journey in there as well. Our, our men's work has been different in that you you really found Dr. Glover. I was with the Mankind Project, but it was a similar kind of transformation for you and I. And I guess I just wanted to ask you, and then I'll share a little bit of it about what were you like prior to the work? Like what how was the nice guy syndrome showing up in your work in your life? How were you? Uh, and then how are you now? Well, I didn't even know nice guy syndrome was a thing. <laughs> nor nor did I. Yeah. <laughs> uh until I read that book, but mm-hmm. you know the 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 really really short answer to your question is I was miserable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was really unhappy. Um I was I was living in Omaha, which is my hometown. Uh and I'm not speaking ill of Omaha by any means. It's a it's a very nice town, but um, I was stagnant. I was bored. I uh, had a job, a nine to five job that I hated. Um, I published a humor book that didn't sell. I tried starting a marketing company that failed. I had a pretty non-existent dating, romantic sex life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just really unhappy in like every part of my life. I, I, I knew that I had something to offer. I knew that I had talent. I wasn't living up to my potential. 
Um, I wasn't taking any risks in life. I wasn't really going after what I and wanted. I Tone, at, the, at that point, were you like, would you have called yourself chronically nice? Like, were you just being nice all over the place or, or no, not so much? Well, I, <laughs> it's funny. I, I, I don't think that any of my friends, <laughs> people who that. know me really well, would categorize me as chronically nice. They'd yeah. probably say I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lovable asshole. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm very snarky. I, I, I was always the class comedian. I, I'm very sarcastic. Uh, you know, I always wanted to be in comedy. So, you know, uh, but I'll tell you what, I was the ultimate nice guy with women. Yep. Women I was attracted to. Yep. Women I was dating. Uh, I mean, I was uh, uh, pathetically needy. I yeah. was, you know, trying desperately to win their approval and their devotion and their love. I would bend over backwards to make them happy. I wouldn't be so afraid to rock the boat or stand up for myself or, you know, tell them, tell them how I real fe really feel or be authentic and honest and transparent. Yeah. And I thought that was how I was supposed to act. <laughs> I thought that was how I was supposed to win over these women. And actually you, you find out uh, quite the opposite is true. Um, you find out that that kind of behavior is horribly unattractive and right. they actually do want you to be a man and have some balls and stand up for yourself and set boundaries and speak your truth. And, yeah. you know, and that doesn't mean be an asshole, but it does mean be a man, you know, don't totally. be such a fucking nice guy. Yeah, I mean that what you're saying about how you approached women was exactly how I did it as well. It's kind of what we were taught. I was so afraid of conflict. I didn't know, you know, I always, you know, drawing a boundary would just be so harsh or saying no even back when I was younger. I was like I would never say no to a girlfriend, you know? Like, you know, yeah. that that's not the way I was trained. And I don't know if you had this experience but you know, I had kind of a persona. You talked about, you know, you were kind of the 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 snarky comedian, you know, like the funny guy that was a little had kind of a chip on his shoulder. That was your persona. Mine was kind of a I was a jock. So it was kind of like the happy go lucky athlete. Um, but the whole time as I got older, like it kind of worked when I was a teenager and in my early 20s, but as I got older, I was still trying to spin that con game on everybody. And I just felt more and more like a phony. Like people didn't, I didn't even know who I was. I just felt like there was this, the, the man in me was not, did not have a voice because I was too busy being this kind of happy-go-lucky caricature, you know, trying to be liked by women and men alike. Uh, yeah. It's it's kind of gross now that I talk about it, but it was just, you know, it was part of my hero's journey. I had to grow up out of that. Thank God I did. But I was just going around trying to charm everyone with, you know, I was an athlete. So it's like, you know, I had a particular kind of grace about me. I was just trying to charm everybody, women trying to charm their pants off, men trying to be trying to get them to like me, respect me. And, but meanwhile, you know, I'm sitting in all this shadow stuff and all this authentic, all this anger, you know, I just hadn't. I hadn't done yeah. the I hadn't done the work, and so I didn't know who I was yet. Does that does that kind of resonate with you? It does resonate. I yeah, I I can relate. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still I'm a huge comedy nerd. I, <laughs> you know, I 
I get high off making people laugh, but at, at, for a long time, I thought that was, that was the only value I, I could offer. I thought that that's all I have going for me. So I would, I would enter social situations going, you gotta be funny. You gotta be funny. You gotta be funny. It, it didn't occur to me that I don't always have to be funny. Like people might be attracted to my intelligence or, you know, <laughs> other, yeah. other characteristics. Like, yeah, I don't always have to be cracking jokes. Um, right. And yeah, uh, it, it took me a long time to let that go actually. Even mm-hmm. and even when I when I started my sort of self-development journey and started my own coaching business, I actually thought like am I going to lose my edge? Like can I am I going to become all like woo-woo and airy-fairy or right. and then I, and then I and then I realized, you know what? No, I I can take this journey and start my coaching business and do it in a really authentic way. So if you go to my website, like, you know, I'm crass. I, I curse a lot, you know, I'm super authentic in my writing. So, um, and people seem to appreciate that, but I I have let go of like, Oh, that's the only thing I I have going for me. Yeah. You know, that's great. You know, yeah. you, you you had written that uh, that men are universally lonely, and I I I earmark that because I was like, that's such a great statement, and I think I think men universally would recognize this statement, even though there's probably a vast portion of men that are like, oh, uh oh, like he's he's got you know he's pointing out the elephant in the room. So I wanted to give you a chance just to talk about what you meant by that, and what are what's the remedy for this? Because I know a lot of uh, I know a lot of men and I uh, completely agree with this statement. Um, and I just wanted to give you a chance to unpack it a little bit for the men out there that are listening that maybe haven't done much men's work, you know, maybe they're, maybe they are, maybe they're sitting on some, some, some loneliness or that, that, that what you're talking about, uh, we're not trained to talk about this very, very skillfully. And so I wanted to just uh, touch base with, with you because it jumped out at me when I was reading it. Yeah. Well, I wonder if, if I did use the word universally, that, that's probably a, a stretch, but, um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, men are lonely, men are suffering. Um, I mean, you've seen the articles, right? Mm. I, I mean, I see headline after headline, men are suffering, men are in trouble, men are lonely, male loneliness is a silent epidemic. And I do not think that that's hyperbole. I think that that is, uh, could, could not be more true. Uh, I see it with my clients and in the men's group that I lead. I mean, it's, it is a very, very common uh, grievance among men. And I would consider myself in that group. You know, Mm -hmm. I've been very lonely at times and, you know, a lot of the men in my group, a lot of my clients say, I just don't have any male friends. I don't know how to meet male friends. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I think, that probably does get harder uh, the older we get, you know, I think people, you know, people, uh, life happens, you know, maybe you get married, you get sucked into work, you have children, you kind of lose sight of, you know, your relationships out, outside of your most intimate relationship with your partner. A lot of guys lose sight of their friendships, their other relationships, mm-hmm. which is so sad and can be, so incredibly harmful because you need those relationships and you know dr glover for example 
when he was in private practice, when he, he was a marriage and family therapist, and he would work with couples, and couples would come in, and the first question he would ask the, ask them is, do you guys have good same-sex friends? Mm-hmm. You know, and and more often than not, the woman would have a couple girlfriends, but but the guy wouldn't. The guy wouldn't have any guy friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, this is part of our evolutionary DNA as men. Like we evolved in tribe. We we, we need tribe. We need brotherhood. We need camaraderie and connection with other men. And you know, our ancestors. You know, young men were initiated by older men into the scary world of of masculinity. And yeah. That shit just doesn't happen anymore. You know, we're we're all, for the most part, individualistic now, especially in in America. Mm-hmm. You know, most a lot of us live alone. Uh, some some of us work alone. Like we we can survive on our own, but that is not a healthy or fulfilling or satisfying way to live. And like I said, we, we, we need tribe. We, we need brotherhood. You know, we are wired to connect. I, I always, I always tell people that men are like canines. Like we really do good in the wolf pack. Like that's, I remember sitting around my first men's group after I had done the warrior training and I just remember going, oh, yeah, this is exactly what men need. Like, you yeah, know, it was just such an honest, you know, there was no there, there, guys were getting pissed off about something and somebody's crying because their wife's leaving them. And and, uh, you know, somebody's owning up that they've got addiction problem. They got a porn addiction. They got a, you know, alcohol addiction. Just it was so raw in its honesty that oh, and it's yeah, totally. and it and it's so juxtaposed next to the bullshit that men put out as like, I'm doing great. I don't have any friends. I'm doing great. I've got to, you know, my wife's getting ready to leave me. I'm doing fantastic. I've been diagnosed with cancer. Like right. they, they don't talk about it with anybody. They don't trust anybody. And one of the great things about men's groups is it puts you in these great circles where it's just like, you're hearing truth, like just the most raw truth. It's just so honest that you just, your guard comes down. Cause you're like, I don't have to, be anything. I don't have to be the Mr. Nice guy or the comedian in here. I can actually talk about how lonely I am or how scared I am about my marriage unraveling or that my, uh, yeah, you yeah, know, it's sure. just like, thank you for being so honest. It's like it furthers male, authentic male sharing in a way that I don't think you get anywhere else. For me, that's always been the superpower of men's groups is that kind of really honest sharing where you're like, okay, this is how men really feel. Now I yeah. know, right? And, oh, and then, yeah, I, yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. And I, I, I would say a couple of things. Yeah. One, it's funny that you, you use the word wolf pack. And, uh, you know, Dr. Glover and I were recently talking about this, actually. Like, you, there's a lot of, like, uh, you know, like, I don't know, mysticism or, uh, you know, the, there's this idea of, like, the lone wolf. Uh, and <laughs> that... Like, I don't know, there's a lot of like mysticism and men seem attracted to this idea of the lone wolf. Mm-hmm. The lone wolf fucking dies. Yep, exactly. <laughs> the lone wolf does not survive in the wild. The the, the lone wolf needs its, its pack. Um, but yeah, I mean, to respond to what you said, I mean, shit, man. I mean, Dr. Glover in No More Mr. Nice Guy and in interviews and in all his work says over and over and over again, I mean, he just tries to hammer this home. 
You cannot do this work alone. You cannot do this work alone. You cannot recover from the nice guy syndrome alone. You need safe people. And those safe people preferably should be other men. And yeah, most of us men carry around, you know, a great deal of toxic shame or anxiety or self-limiting beliefs or stress. And yeah, I mean, at one point in time, men were told to suck it up and <laughs> walk it off and push your feelings down and and move on and keep trucking. And yep. that shit doesn't fucking work. You know, that yep. that's why men drop dead at 50 of a heart attack, you know? Yeah, and so exactly. part of the power of just like you were describing of being in a men's group and getting real with other men is you get to release all of that stuff. You get to release all your toxic shame mm -hmm. and all your anxieties and, and self-limiting beliefs. And you get more accurate feedback from other men about yourself. You know? Yeah. I, I have, I have um, like, I'll, I'll give you a, a really, quick example that I, i'm stealing from dr glover mm -hmm. uh, but it comes to mind like there was a guy in dr glover's one of dr glover's men's group he uh men's groups uh he was like you know in his 40s uh, uh african-american guy but he carried around all this toxic shame from his childhood he thought he was just a terrible person because when he was 14 years old, he stole a car stereo mm -hmm. and he just carried this around with him, you know, all of his life and just had so much shame around it. And finally in his men's group, he, he, he talked about, he told the story of how he stole this car stereo and all the other guys were like, what? That's it. <laughs> like, yeah, that's not, we've all done stupid shit like that. You know? Yeah. And it just allowed this guy to like, free himself of all this shame he was carrying around. Yeah, that's a great story. You know, um, you, you, one of the things that I really love about the book, you know, it, it, and I think Dr. Glover's great at this, by the way, is, is showing the dynamic between men and women. I know that Dr. Glover had kind of a, he had a big shift. He noticed, hey, the way I'm showing up with my, I think, ex-wife, or maybe it was an ex-girlfriend, is not working. Like, I'm trying to make her happy, and it's 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 backfiring on me. Um, you, you had mentioned in the book that, that, uh, women will test men, you know, they yeah. will give, they will give them these tests. Why is that? I mean, it's, it, this is how it is in every relationship. It's in my, you know, I've been with my wife for 26 years. I've been with her 29 years. I've been married 26 years and, and there's all kinds of tests and, um, but sure. yeah. Um, but why, why are they there and what is it? What is it asking of men? Like, why is there these, you know, you called them shit tests, basically. Uh, but but it's basically saying women are testing men. And it's a way of kind of seeing, like, what kind of man you are. Why are men, why are men often failing these tests? And what are women trying to gauge by testing men? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, kind of circling back, I think it goes back to our evolutionary DNA, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and the masculine and the feminine, you know, and, you know, our, our male ancestors were providers and protectors, you know, and, and women looked to men to be their providers and protectors. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, times have changed. Obviously, women do not need men. You know, <laughs> women women are kicking ass on their own. You know, which is fucking great. But women are still evolutionarily wired to be security seeking creatures and if they are in a relationship with a man they look to their man to kind of be their default provider and protector so they will shit test him to find out how mm-hmm. man he really is they they want to find out where the kinks in his armor are you know totally i don't think women shit test men just to fuck with us you know? no not at they, all they shit test us to like you said to to you know, find out where our weaknesses are, find out where the kinks in our armor are, you know, I'm a, be- I'm a better man because of all the shit tests I've gotten from my wife over 29 years. I could tell you that because I used right. to, I used to fail so many of them miserably. Like I would just get triggered and pissed off defensive and just like, you know, she was poking at the soft underbelly of some of my mass, my ideas of who I was as a man or my masculinity but now not so much. Yeah, I can get triggered once in a while. It's mild, but you know, it's I've done the work to pass the tests. <laughs> you know, and a lot of it sure. is not not being so freaking needy and not not putting everything on her like I've got to, you know, she's got to stop poking at me. It's like, well, that's her job to make sure she's got a strong man next to her, right? <laughs> it's like Yeah, uh, exactly right. Yeah, I mean Yeah. Yeah, I mean any Yeah, it's like you know, if you're a woman, what what kind of partner do you want? Do you want mm-hmm. a, a you know a strong, confident, healthy, mature man who's gonna stand up to you and for you, or do you want a you know a a, a weak, passively pleasing, nice guy? You know, most women want that first guy, and you know sometimes they uh, they you know they'll they'll poke at you to find out just how man you really are, and you know. A lot of men do react the, the same way you, you used to react, you know, mm-hmm. as did I, you know, get, get a little butthurt, get a little insulted, but, um, you know, we shouldn't look at shit tests like that. We should look at shit tests as first of all, an opportunity to learn something about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And second of all, we should look at shit tests as our time to shine. You know, there's, there's no, there's really no reason to get butthurt or insulted, you know? You should respond to shit tests with strength and masculine and confidence and, and masculinity and humor and playfulness. Yeah, that's great. That's great. You know, speaking of women, you you said that uh, we were talking about this, I think, the last time you and I spoke. But you were saying that that men often have delusions as to what women can and will provide for their lives. Uh, how, how so? And I think it's delusional both ways, to be honest with you. Uh, but we could talk about that, but I guess I wanted to talk to you about, Oh, I I think it's delusional both ways too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I don't know. I think you can probably blame that on, uh, I, uh, well, however, the institution of marriage came to be, I'm not totally brushed up on the history of marriage, but, uh, you know, I think you can blame a lot of it on you know, the, the rise of the institution of marriage and then, uh, you know, cheesy romantic comedies and (laughs) this, this fucking idea that you're going to pair up with one person, uh, and be monogamous with them for the rest of your life 
and you're going to be best friends and spend all your time together and meet every meet all your need meet each other's needs and make each other happy and keep each other entertained and you're going to have the same interests and the same passions and you're going to complete each other i mean that's fucking insane it is insane i agree that is insane and so yeah. men you know i i can't pretend to get into the psyche of 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 women but but yeah i think I think just this idea of romantic monogamous love that lasts a lifetime. I personally think it's kind of insane, but you know, that's just me. I, I don't want to impose well, my beliefs on anyone else, but men. Yeah. We, we think, and I felt this way. I thought this way, this way too. You know, I thought Jesus, if I would, if I could only meet a woman, my life would be complete. I right. just need a woman to make me happy. I just, yep. I just need a woman, you know, I even say in the intro to the big stick, like my life always felt like, so I think I said my life always felt like some sort of like disassembled puzzle and all the pieces were chaotically strewn about in every direction. And if only I could meet the right woman, all the pieces would come together. Yep. And that is just magical thinking. And mm -hmm. it's, it is, it's, kind of delusional because one woman one person cannot complete you or make you happy or meet all your needs and also what an enormous fucking burden to place on another person you know exactly like you can't expect that of, of somebody else and you know i have found that uh that is uh you know thinking that way is a real recipe for disaster it's why a lot of relationships fail and also kind of circling back, that's why men need male friends. That's why men need to yeah. get in men's groups. So, you know, they can get a lot of their emotional needs met elsewhere. Well, and and speaking from experience too, like I think my marriage matured and got a lot better when both my wife and I realized, look, it's not up to you to make me happy. You know, like I'm not, I, it's up to me. I have to have the fulfilling life. I have to have if I'm not happy, it's on me. What, what do I need to do? Like, is it a self-care thing? Is it an inspiration thing? Like I, I think married and longtime partners, you start to look over there. I'm, I've got some, you know, I don't like the way things are going, or I've been really unhappy this past two years or whatever the case may be. And it's you, you're the closest one to me. It must be you. You're, you're not cleaning up the house well, or you're not giving me sex or wh whatever the reasons are. Right. But the real reason for like, if I'm unhappy, it's me. Like I got to figure it out. It's not over there with my wife. Like it honestly isn't. And she's come to the realization over the past, especially the last say seven or eight years to the same conclusion. Like, you know, I am assisting her in finding her best life, but it's not up to me. Like that her best life is that's, she's got to figure that road out just like I do. And I'm yeah. great. And I'm grateful that she's my partner because she understands all this. And and we might hit some rough patches, but that doesn't mean the other person's a shit or the other person's to blame. None of that stuff, right? And I think, but you got to go through the fire and you got to go through all the shit tests. You got to have all those uncomfortable conversations and maybe be working with somebody like Dr. Glover or working with a good therapist before you realize, wait a minute, you know, right. I've been I've been putting all this on you. It's not fair and it's not about you. This is this is my own wounds or my own shadow of me always complaining about something or, you know, I'm always looking for what's wrong, whatever your, whatever your story is. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like that, that old saying, you know, 
I'll take care of me for you and you take care of you for me. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, two, two concepts, again, stealing from Dr. Glover come to mind. One is, you know, Dr. Glover always tells men, you need to build a great cake of a life and a woman should be the icing on your great cake. Never mm-hmm. the whole cake, never a main ingredient. So what does a great cake look like? It looks like, you know, having great male friends, uh, following, pursuing your passions and hobbies and interests, getting regular exercise, leaning into challenge, having a really great, fulfilling, enriching life on your own, and then inviting a woman to to be the icing on your great cake. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other concept that comes to mind is, Dr. Glover calls it the relationship teeter-totter, which is kind of what you were describing with your relationship with your wife. Like you are taking care of you. You are constantly working on your, your own shit. You're working on your own uh, journey and you're constantly trying to be better uh, and constantly trying to raise the bar. And so if you think of that, like a teeter totter, right? Your wife, your wife can either do the same thing, you know, work on her shit uh and and continue and you know continually try and get better on her end and that you know raises the teeter-totter and evens it up or she can fucking bring you back down to her level and ideally you want a partner who keeps raising the bar yeah keeps raising that teeter-totter up you know yeah yeah it's great you know on a little bit of a sidebar, I wanted to ask you, you know, you're seeing so much attacks on men and masculinity, uh, even the gender thing, you know, this, all this woke stuff, it's all Marxist ploys to divide, confuse, conquer. But as a middle-aged white, straight white man who <laughs> pre- presents with a deep voice and is confident in his mask, I mean, I'm like the worst possible, you know, expression of what it means to be a man to the all these woke pronoun wielding, you know, I I don't even a part of it. I see it going on. It's around me. I live in a really woke area of Seattle. Um, But, you know, in I just wanted to ask you, like, I don't really engage with it a whole lot. And I feel like the whole thing is is you know, it's making me just more of what I am because I'm really clear about who I am as a man. So I'm like, well, none of that has to do with me. If you want to yeah. call, if you want right. to try to, you know, I was in a, I was, in, I happened to be in this kind of uh, board meeting and they were going around with their pronouns and I didn't even participate. Like I just like introduced myself. Right. Like, If you don't know what I am, I think everybody in this room is pretty clear the way, what I am, you know, like I don't need to tell you. Um, but I just find the whole thing a little amusing, but it's so widespread that I'm like, what it, what it kind of triggers in me, or it gives me a concern that like, is there going to be strong, clear men in the next generation? Are they going to be so weirded out by all this stuff? Like, well, Hey, you can't, you can't just be a man in this world. You gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta be careful. You know, I I guess I'm, I'm concerned, I'm concerned about it creating kind of like men that would just be fine in what they are and comfortable in their skin, but it's creating like overly cautious, maybe younger men that are like, I don't want to 
speak out that I think all this shit's nonsense. But right. but we got to have some men that call call out the truth, especially when it comes to what men are for the world, right? Yeah, I mean, geez, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. It is, uh, it is perplexing uh, what's going on. Um, it is uh, hard to wrap your head around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't pay much attention to it either. Um, I also live in New Orleans where nobody really gives a shit about <laughs> anything like that. Uh, yeah. Everyone's just trying to let the good times roll. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, though, I do not think it's as widespread as, you know, you seem to think it is. I think it is coming from a very loud minority. Yeah, uh, you're right. You know, yeah. who have extreme beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just don't see that kind of shit when I go out into the real world. Like, yeah. I have never, no woman has ever you know, when I go out and sit at my local bar, or go see some live music or, you know, <clears throat> uh, go walk around, you know, my neighborhood, uh, no woman ever makes me feel bad for being a man. Yeah. I've never even heard the words toxic masculinity in real life. Uh, I think this is just a bunch of uh, crazy, loud, really loud people on the Internet. Yeah. Um, I know that you are seeing, you probably are. I don't know. I mean, I do hear about really just wild shit going on in schools nowadays, but, Mm -hmm. and I, I agree with you. I worry about the younger generation. Uh, but I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I do. I worry about the younger generation, but I don't know. What, what am I, what am I? I don't know what to do about that. I mean, I, I think there I, are there are people standing up to it. You know, there are men speaking out. Uh, and I figure, you know, I'll probably be long gone before, you know, these 16, 17, 18 year old kids grow up. So I, I don't know. I don't know what the, well, what I, the solution I, is. But I, I but, think uh, I think what you said is spot on in that to you it's more no- it's noise it's noise from a megaphone it doesn't it's not signal it has nothing to do with men so i think that is beautifully said that well for me it lands as noise i'm like that's how it lands for me too you know i just i i yeah so maybe maybe it's un- an unfounded uh fear but also like i'm in seattle it's a little bit more prevalent but you might be you might be right that it's it's a small group making a lot of noise i'm gonna have to keep that in my listening Um, yeah i I mean i i kind of liken it to you know like i was talking about how much i love how much of a comedy nerd i am and you know i see like I, i i hear bill burr talking about this a lot he's one of my favorites where you know, he'll be, he'll be in an interview and somebody will ask him like, what do you think of all this cancel culture? And, and, you know, you can't make jokes anymore. And Bill Burr's like, I, what the fuck are you talking? I still sell out Madison square garden. So, yeah. Yeah. um, you know, again, I feel like a lot of this is just really loud, really vocal minorities, uh, on the extreme ends of the spectrum, uh, you know, 
And again, they're—I think they're the minority, but they're just the loudest. Yeah. You know? No, they're I. They're all over fucking social media, you know, preaching yep. their crazy shit, and I—I I don't know, man. I—I I think, you know, I, I'm like you. I think it's just a lot of noise, and I don't—I don't know. I don't. It doesn't affect me much. So. Yeah, I hear you. Well, Tone, where can listeners buy the Big Stick? I'm going to promote it. I'm telling everybody about it. It's just a really great men's book and there's not enough of them you know there's there's a few kind of classics i think it's going to be a classic as time goes on i think it's that important i think it's that well written where can they find it and then where can they find you and your work uh tell tell us about that so people can find you and what you're doing yeah man shit this this sounds like the end of the interview is it over (laughs) yeah we're getting to the Uh, end yeah um yeah well first of all thank you for having me and thank you for your kind words about the book um yeah it's called the big stick um you can get it on amazon um but i just i definitely want to say you know there there's a website that i built uh to correlate with the book and it's bigstickbook.com and if you go to bigstickbook.com there's all kinds of uh complimentary and supplementary materials you know that you can download for free so there's a complete companion workbook there's a bunch of like free podcast episodes worksheets diagrams a lot of stuff that you know again is supplementary to the book so definitely go to bigstickbook.com um otherwise you know i would direct people to my personal website tonyendelman.com um you know you can read my writing you can uh schedule a free introductory call with me you can read about my other services sign up for my group program or uh whatever that's kind of the that's kind of the 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 central hub would be my my personal website beautiful well tone thanks so much for coming on Basecamp for men sharing all your insight and your wisdom so appreciate what you do for men and what you do for humanity great job on the book and uh let's do this again another time as 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 the weeks go by maybe we can touch base again uh as things pop up but really appreciate you thank you man i appreciate you too and yeah anytime man i'd love to do it again cool I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. I love Tony, his authenticity, and his message for men. And go get a copy of the excellent new men's book, The Big Stick, where Tony distills Dr. Glover's wisdom down into what you need to know as a man. Thank you, base campers, and we'll see you around the fire next week. If you find value in our show and wish to show us some love, we are now making that very easy to do. You simply go to www.basecampformen.com and click on Donate Support Basecamp. You'll find an easy way to make either monthly donations for as little as $5 a month, or you can donate just once. We love the monthly donation and hope to build this up over the coming months, but any show of support is greatly appreciated, honestly. Thank you for your support and for helping to keep Basecamp as a resource on your hero's journey. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac and you're listening to Base Camp for Men.